God, thank you so much again for this worship service that, Lord, you have brought together the great divide, Lord, as a, a bridge from heaven, Lord, your son stood in the gap between us and you that was separated by sin and death. Lord, you made a way through your son so that we could be with you. We thank you and we praise you for that. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're talking this morning about leaving a legacy, and I want to encourage you that while this is Senior Adult Sunday, don't think this is just a senior adult message. Because no matter what our age, no matter where we are in life, we are always influencing someone else. And I thought it would be appropriate to start this morning to give you kind of a little test to know if you're a senior adult or not. Because I know many of you will say that, uh, you know, I'm not as old as those other people. Well, this is how you know if you're a senior adult or not. Number one, you are the life of the party, unless it lasts past 8 p.m. Okay? Number two, you are very good at opening childproof caps with a hammer. Number three, you are usually interested in going home before you even get to where you were going. Number four, you look in the mirror after taking a shower and think, this needs ironing. <laughs> Number five, you are smiling all the time because you cannot hear a thing people are saying. <laughs> Number six, you're very good at telling stories. The same stories. Over and over and over again. Or maybe you're not really grouchy. You just don't like traffic, waiting in crowds, lawyers, loud music, unruly kids, barking dogs, politicians, and a few other things you cannot seem to think of right at this moment. Or maybe uh, you're a senior adult. If the conversations you have with people your own age often turn into dueling ailments. In other words, you know, you talk about what's wrong with you and the other person talks about what's wrong with them. Or, you know, as uh, Don and I used to call it, an organ recital. Yeah, they took a pint of fluid out of my back and my liver's quivering and all this kind of, you know, all that kind of stuff. Or number nine, you are a walking storeroom of facts, only you have lost the key that opens the door. And then finally, number ten, everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work anyway. So the sad thing is, is when I read those 10 things, I thought, I'm probably a couple of those. And so I think we all have a little bit of a senior adult in us until it finally comes out as we get older. But today I want to challenge you. The senior adults leave a legacy. Paul teaches about the importance of leaving a legacy in Hebrews 12. And so I have a question for you this morning, as I do often. The life question for us to think about is this. What legacy will your life leave? Think about this. Whether you're young and you've got the world by the tail, or whether you're middle-aged, oh, it doesn't matter your age. What legacy will your life leave? Some of you might be tempted to say, probably not much. <laughs> 
Don't be fooled. Don't let the devil make you think that you are not going to live a legacy because every one of you in here makes an impression on someone else. And I am sure if you were to talk to these senior adults, I don't think anyone necessarily thought about, I want to leave a legacy, but they just did the best they could every day they were alive. The day you wake up and you take your next breath, that means it's a good day. Amen? You know, I always heard older people say, I, first thing I do is I get the paper and I read the obituaries to make sure my name's not in it. And, but the thing is, is that no matter what our age, listen to me, folks, every age you are, you leave a legacy. Now, the Apostle Paul here was a huge sports fan. And I'm sure if he were alive today, he would surely be a Carolina Panthers fan. But we don't know that for sure, but that's just my translation. But he included several sports references in the letters that he wrote. And he used these illustrations because the culture of the day was under the influence of the Romans and the Greeks. And they were huge sports fanatics. Now, that's not today, is it? Oh, come on. Come on. Y'all ask. Y'all, yes, preacher. Yes, amen. But when you get to that ball game, woo! Touchdown! You know, if somebody comes to Jesus, you're like, amen. They score a touchdown, woo! Take a lap! Well, of course. I mean, some of you are into sports, some of you are not. But needless to say, the amount of money and the emphasis that we put on sports is huge. And that is in part because of our heritage, where we came from, to where we elevate athletics and we elevate athletes and teams to almost like God status. But that's another sermon for another time. Paul went to great lengths to incorporate two themes into his writing, and it was athletics and citizenship. Because back then, sporting events, the athletes were raised up, but also it was the country they represented. Sound familiar? Something called the Olympics. Now, America didn't uh, fare too well this year. I mean, they came in, I think, second overall, but most of their medals were bronze medals. But you know what? You remember years ago when there was a hockey game between, I believe it was the Russians and the Americans, and the Americans beat them at the last game, and the big saying was, do you believe in miracles? And, I mean, it was like, you know, American pride, go USA, go USA. We do attribute some of our our social status and some of our culture to games and to sporting events. So all of that to say, Paul was not too far off from where we are today. But let's look in Hebrews chapter 12, just two verses, verses 1 and 2, that say, Therefore, since we also have such a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. What we see in the first half of verse 1, in the first half of verse 1, we see that we must honor those who have won. We must honor those who have won. 
If you are here today in this sanctuary, I'm going to honor you to the point to say you could have slept in. Maybe you were drugged to church. You know, we used to have druggies all the time. Every time the doors were open, I was drugged to church. Whether you're a drugged to church person or whether you're just here because you want to be, I'm here to tell you, you have won a battle. The battle to stay home and to veg out in front of the TV or the decision to let the Lord speak to you through his word. But those of you that are senior adults, again, I want you to understand we are celebrating you. We're not worshiping you. Don't, don't get the two mixed up. But we are celebrating the fact that God has been faithful in your life. And we are grateful that you have led the way for people like myself and the Elvingtons and my wife and other people and Tammy to follow. And we have younger kids here that are looking to you for examples. You have won. You have been witnesses. But as we read this, it says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, I don't want you to think that this is kind of like you're walking out into the middle of a stadium and there are all of these people standing up in chairs cheering you on for all of your good works. That's not the kind of witnesses this is talking about. This, this is not what Paul is talking about. Actually, the word witnesses comes from the word which means martyr. The word witnesses means martyr. You pronounce it martus. Martyr. What, so if you read it again, it says, Therefore, since we have also such a large cloud of martyrs surrounding us, the witnesses Paul is referring to are not watching us. They bear witness so that we may see God working through them. There again, those of you, no matter your age, but especially senior adults, we have watched you raise children. We have watched you go through illnesses. We have watched you lose a loved one. We have watched you in the good days, in the bad days. And you, through the good and through the bad, are bearing witness to God being at work in your life. You are a witness. And when you stand up for biblical principles, when you stand up for what is true, for what is right, there are people that are seeing that and that are encouraged by it. God bore witness to them. We are to reflect God in our life and in our actions, in our thought life, in our ethics, so that others may see Him in us. When it talks about being a witness, what's the main thing in the courts about being a witness? You need to be credible. You need to be a credible witness. And if you're on the stand, the defense, the first thing they're going to try to do is attack your credibility. The first thing that the world tries to do to you, Christian, is attack your credibility. So we need to be careful and we need to do the best that we can to not give them any ammunition that they might be able to use against us. But we see Old Testaments of old like Noah and Moses and Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Elijah. How do we get to know men like that? How do we get to know witnesses that have been martyrs like that? It's a real simple solution. You know what you do? Read the Old Testament. You're like, oh, preacher, come on. Reading the Old Testament, that's like plowing through concrete. I don't understand all those words and those numbers, 
Some of you, I, I love Old Testament, and I know some of you are, are big fans of it, but some of you just say, oh, I just don't understand that. If you don't understand that, get a version of the Bible that you understand. There are so many versions that you can read that read just like a novel. And Because what you see in the Old Testament church is you see the hand of God working through these men and women of the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament you see the heart of God by him sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. How do you get to know these witnesses? You read about them. You study them. Get a, a, a one year through the Bible plan and just read sections of it. You will find out things that you did not know. We learn about them by reading about them. For example, if you're having problems in your family today, why don't you read a little bit about Joseph and see what it's like to be in a dysfunctional family? If you are overwhelmed at work, maybe you need to read about Moses and all the people in the administration he had to deal with. Maybe you're in the middle of some type of sensual temptation. Why don't you study David and see what he learned through his experiences about that? If you need wisdom, learn from Solomon by reading Ecclesiastes or reading Proverbs. We've been going through that on Sunday morning in our Sunday school class. And it's full of wisdom. But I do want to say that senior adults are witnesses. Uh, I was speaking to some of our senior adults at our National Day of Prayer um, this past week, and uh, I thought how sad it would be to be a senior adult today. You're like, what are you talking about, preacher? Our nation used to be great. And I still believe we're in one of the greatest nations in the world. Is it where I want it to be? No, but that's why I'm a preacher, and that's why you're in church. But to be a senior adult and to see what has happened in this world, it's got to be heartbreaking. Some of you in here knows what, it's, what it means to suffer. Some of you were either born or even alive during the Great Depression. That's between the 1930s and the 1940s. It originated after the fall of stock prices. And on September 4th, it became worldwide news when the stock market, the stock market crashed on October 29th of 1929, known as Black Tuesday. You want to talk about legacy? You want to talk, I mean, you know, I always never understood why uh, grandparents and even parents were so wise and so smart with money. Because they knew what it was like to not have it. Even this church that you're sitting in now was born out of the Depression and originated out of Tin Town during the Great Depression and the legacy of those men and women we are enjoying today is because people have gone before us. Back then, during the Great Depression, and when some of you were living, you didn't know what a Happy Meal was. You know what a Happy Meal now is? You go to McDonald's and you get like a hamburger and fries, and if you're lucky, you get a toy in with it. For y'all, a Happy Meal was... So a plate of corn, tomatoes, and collard greens, all that you grew in the backyard. And you were happy to have it. But you have seen a difference the technology has taken. Some of you, I'm proud of it. You're getting on the internet. You got your iPads and your iPhones and everything else, and you're doing good. And some of you are just saying, preacher, I do not. I'm not going to do it. More power to you. But you've got to admit, technology 
has changed. So much so, do you remember the first time you went into a grocery store and the, the, the person behind the counter didn't even have to look at the label? They scanned it. Woo! Scanners in the market. Next thing you know, the devil's going to be in the world. So, I mean, we have come a long way from getting our groceries scanned, have we not? But you've also seen prayer taken out of schools. It happened, June 25th will make 52 years since prayer was taken out of school. Some of you remember that. Some of you were alive when that happened. Some of you were in school. Some of you were already out of school. And it just amazes me that you have seen the decline that we are in. Our young folks need to hear about this. Our young folks need to know about that because you remember when the nation was great. We can get back there again. But it's not going to be a political figure. It's going to be the men and women of God standing up for what the Bible teaches and proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the only way to have true peace in this world. Thank you. Some of you are alive with an amen. There you go. If not, i got an AED in the back. We'll shock you out. No, we don't have one, but maybe we need one. But our senior adults are witnesses. You have been there. You have done that. As Jason and Elizabeth were saying earlier, we want to hear your stories. We want to understand the way it was. But listen, I'll say this with all kind of love. Times have changed. And we can't always do it the way you used to do it. There's got to be a balance between appreciating the past, learning from that, and facing to the future. And let me be very clear. Whatever the future of Holman Park Baptist Church is, we cannot do it without our senior adults. You understand me? We are here because of the sacrifice that you have made. But also, we will never accomplish what we need to accomplish if we have the wrong attitude. It's all about Jesus. Tell us, teach us, help us learn. There are are senior adults right now that cannot physically be in our church, that are on our rolls, that they can sit in their nursing home, in their um, wheelchair, wherever they might be, and they can pray during our worship services, and they are just as much of a part of the service as you are this morning. But not only must we honor those who have won, the next thing we need to do is prepare ourselves, prepare yourself to run. Look at the second half of verse 1. It says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that lies before us. <laughs> well, at the urging of his wife, Harry went to a gym. His doctor and his wife got on him about getting some exercise. And he was 50 years old, and uh, he finally made it to the gym. Well, he signed up with a trainer, and he consulted with some folks. And he finally decided that he was going to try out a treadmill. So 50-year-old Harry got on the treadmill and said, okay, I'm going to do this. And he started walking on it. And the treadmill got higher and higher and higher. It got faster 
and faster. And all of a sudden, he started breathing heavy. His feet started falling out from under him. And before you knew it, he got off the treadmill. He tried his best. But he said, I could barely last a full minute on that treadmill. His buddy said, all right, all right, quit bragging. So at least he lasts a minute, right? But it takes training. Athletes train. Uh, if you've ever seen baseball players on the sidelines, before they hit, they get a bat, they get all of these metal rings around it, and they start swinging it so they can get the weight of the bat and so they can build that resistance. So when the ball comes up, they take the weights off, do they not? And then they swing it. They lay aside the weights that they train with so they can swing unhindered. They need to remove anything that hinders their swing. We, church, need to remove anything in our lives. And sometimes that even means good things. We need to remove anything in our life that hinders us from running the race that God has placed before us. Because you see, a winning athlete doesn't necessarily choose between what is good and what is bad. They choose between what is good and what is better for their training. We need to remove sin that so easily entangles us. Reminds me of a preacher was talking about. He went on a visit to one of his uh, senior adult ladies, Miss Gertrude. Miss Gertrude had been a founding charter member of the church. And she had invited the preacher over for a visit. Well, the preacher finally goes over there and he knocks on the door. She opens the door, invites him in. He sits down and he or she invites him, Miss Gertrude does, invites him to share some of her peanuts that are on the table. Well, he said, no, thank you. A second time, are you sure? And then, so he said, finally, I'll take a peanut, and he started eating them. And then finally, about the third time he'd been on his third handful, he was talking to her, and uh, he asked her, said, Miss Gertrude, you've been asking me to eat these peanuts, but I haven't seen you take a one of them. She said, oh, I can't eat those things, said Miss Gertrude. All I do is suck off the chocolate and leave the peanuts for somebody else. She removed anything that hindered him. She removed the chocolate and left the peanuts. So if I ever visit your house and you have peanuts in a jar, I'm probably not going to eat them. But she removed the chocolate. She removed part of that so she could get what she enjoyed. We need to remove those things that entangle us in our lives. uh, First responders and firemen are taught always that you have... A, um, a pair of pliers in your pants or, or somewhere on your person to where if you get into a situation to where you are in a structural collapse or you have got things that have gotten you tangled up, you need to be able to cut your way out of it. They train you because if you don't do that, you will die. And what the Bible is saying here, folks, is that sin is that string. The sin is that stuff. That, that gets us so entangled and we have to break free from that. What is one of the biggest sins Paul is talking about here? The sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. How do we see that illustrated? Well, in Adam and Eve in the garden where the serpent said, surely God didn't say that. And she thought, well, you know what? Maybe you're right. Or even in the Israelites, they didn't believe that God was going to deliver them. So it cost them 40 years 
in the desert. And you know in those 40 years, if you go back and you track their path, do you realize they were going in circles? At some point, you think they would have said, hey, I remember using the bathroom there. I remember our house used to be over there. But for 40 years, they went around and around and around because they didn't believe. Having, check this out, having a spirit of unbelief shuts the door to God's blessings. Let me say that one more time. Having a spirit of unbelief shuts the door to God's blessings. Now, I'm not talking about the prosperity, you know. I'm not saying if, if you have a spirit of unbelief, you're going to be poor. Or if you believe, you're going to be rich. Or you're going to be healed. That's not what this is saying. But what, I'm, what I am saying is that our sin is God said it. God sent his son. And God has told us to go out and be a light into the community. To leave a legacy. And if we sit back and say, I'll let somebody else do it. I don't think, I'm too old for that. I'm too young for that. Nobody would listen to me. I don't believe I can do it. Folks, the book of James says to know what to do and not do it is sin. Do not have a spirit of unbelief. Do not let that entangle you. If you have something in your life today that is hindering you, and your relationship with the Lord, and fostering a spirit of unbelief in your life, and doubt upon God, listen to me, church, get rid of that before it gets rid of you. If you have a spirit of unbelief, and you think that God has shortchanged you, please get rid of that. That is not of God. That is from the devil. Get rid of that before it gets rid of you. If some of our senior adults in here thought they couldn't make a difference, we wouldn't be here today. And that's going to be the same thing tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Last thing we see is that we need to run to Jesus. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2. It says, Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him, endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Looking to Jesus is not just a one-time act for salvation. Looking to Jesus, for those of us that have prayed to receive Christ, is a daily act involving trust. Listen, we, we're coming to the point to where you know it's coming. We're going to be coming to an invitation, and I'm going to give someone the opportunity to pray to receive Christ. But I've done that week after week, and there are people that either are fighting the Spirit, or we are full of saved people. But that does not mean that we do not need to continually place our faith in Jesus Christ, whether it be the one time for salvation or the next time when you get into trouble. Or the next time when you need encouragement. The next time when you are tempted. The next time when you feel like the God's calling you to do something. We need to place our trust in Him. But here's the thing about trust, folks. And hear me out. Trust and understanding are two different things. Do you hear me? I, I'm, I'm finishing up. So you'll get to the roast in a minute. Hear me, church. Listen. Trust and understanding 
do not go hand in hand when it comes to God. You're not always going to understand God, but you can always trust him. When we ask the question, why? Why this God? Why that God? We begin to make it about ourselves rather than about him. God, look in the Old Testament when God called people to do things. He called Abraham to go, and that's all he said. He told Noah, build an ark, and that's all he said. When did these people of faith truly understand what God was doing after he did it? Even Jesus himself agonized in the garden. Father, if it your will, take this cup from me. Jesus knew what he had to do, but at the moment, his humanity got the best of him, and he just lost understanding. He lost perspective. He didn't sin, but he didn't really understand. Even Jesus had to trust God, his Father. Jesus endured the pain of the cross so that we did not have to. And Jesus finished the work God the Father sent him to do. It says in John seventeen four that I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. When Jesus says, it is finished, he completed the work of salvation. Jesus left a legacy that is ours if we claim it. Jesus left a legacy that is ours if we claim it. No one is too old to begin leaving their legacy today. No one is too old to begin leaving your legacy today. Whether you are a senior adult, a young person, or whatever age, your legacy can begin today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone that's here that Lord, if there's someone that doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord, if they don't know what legacy they would live, if they don't know for sure that if they were to die today, they would spend eternity with you. Lord, help them to come forward. We will pray with them and we will lead them uh, in a prayer to help them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they will go to heaven. But more importantly, it will change their lives from the inside out. They don't have to clean up and get everything ready to meet you. You call them to come as they are. So, Lord, if there's someone that needs to pray to receive you, may they come forward. Maybe someone wants to join this church or they just have a prayer need. Lord, would you work at this time of invitation? For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?